All right, all right, all right. It is that time of the week that you have been waiting for. <laughs> Welcome back to the Text Lab Podcast. I'm here with a special guest today from behind the camera, behind in the green room, the editing screen, and to the front of the podcast. Welcome, Zach Surface. It is good to have you on the pod today. Thank you. You know, this isn't my first time. I know it's not, but it's still special. Okay, appearance, yeah. I'm glad like. you think so. Yeah, it's always special. Hey, <laughs> our goal is simple here at the Text Lab, to equip you with a deeper look into the text uh, that you would continue to grow as a disciple who makes disciples. Our hope is that this text lab would really just prepare you to have meaningful conversations and study into God's word um, and what he has said to us in his word. Zach, some exciting things happening in the Placerville world. I heard there's some Dutch brothers going up there. It's there. I don't drink coffee, so I Mm. wouldn't know if that's a good thing or not. But but... even more exciting than Dutch brothers, the Placerville (laughs) preview service that happened this last Sunday. Okay. Yeah, it was really great. It was really cool to see all of the work that a bunch of the body had done to culminate in this event that the Spirit was all over. Got a lot of great feedback about how Spirit-led the service was, and so I'm just pumped to be able to be used in that way. That's awesome. Next preview service is happening in September. Yep, a couple more in September, and then we'll launch in October. Dude, that plane is almost off the runway. The train is leaving the station. It's exciting. It's super exciting. Grab some Dutch Brothers on your way up there (laughs) for uh, the energy you're going to need for that. And the Giants are doing well also. No, they're not. They can't hit anything. (sighs) They couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. (laughs) Okay, so at least we got the plant is rolling. The plant is rolling. Even if the... Giants stink. Yeah, yeah. It's still it's still a W for the Placerville launch. Well, hey, this is not a podcast about the Giants or even church planting, as exciting that as that is. This is the Text Lab pod, podcast, and so we want to dive into the Word. This week, we are going to be in Romans 9, 22 through 29. So let me read that as we dive in to God's Word, starting in verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and with delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. All right, a lot going on in those passages, Zach. A lot of different um, some pictures. deep cut references. Yes, exactly. Some deep cuts that Paul is making, hyperlinking. We talked about that in the podcast the last couple of weeks. Hyperlinking things back to the Old Testament. A hyperlink back to Hosea here. A hyperlink back to Isaiah as well. And really, just to to 
step back and always just remember what's going on in the broader context of of Romans here and the book of Romans that Paul is writing to his audience. Just remember he's writing to this Jewish and Gentile audience. There was a lot of division in the church. We'll really see that in the later half of the book where Paul very specifically starts to address that. You would have had this Roman um, community that would have believed that they inherited salvation because Abraham was their great, great, great granddaddy. And Paul is trying to dispel that notion and say, it doesn't matter if you have Moses in your genealogy. It doesn't matter if you have Abraham, you need salvation in Christ. And so he's trying to address this division by really kind of leveling the playing field for everyone involved in the community that all are in need of the gospel that's only available through Christ. And so he really establishes that in Romans 1 through 4. He really talks about the depth of what that gospel is in Romans 5 through 8. And now we find ourselves in Romans 9, going hard into the paint, into how and why salvation has come about in this way through the Genesis narrative where Abraham was a blessing, uh, was, was called by God to go and be a blessing to all nations. And now this question has come up of, has God failed? Because not all Israel believes in Jesus as the Messiah. And I think it's important when we read some of these different um, passages that talk about God's divine election and human responsibility, they're not primarily concerned with, is God fair? which is the question we often bring to the text. The primary question Paul is addressing here is, did God fail? And he's showing how God did not fail and how God's plan of salvation is being brought about. And so that's a lot, just some of the overview of the text. That's a lot of Paul's intent in writing this is to continue to talk about unity and continue to talk about how God did not fail in bringing about salvation. But he hits off with Romans 9.22. Zach, that hits hard when he's talking about God designing vessels for mercy and wrath. And we have to kind of address some of the tensions that that brings up even in us when we think about divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Yeah, and thinking about it from the opposite side of the Romans, the Jews were the ones that they thought that they were chosen, that they were good because of that lineage. And so if they, on a quick reading of this, they might think, yeah, we're the vessels of mercy, right? Like God has chosen us, and so we're going to be good to go. But on on that side of it, that's the tension that they're trying to reconcile. Paul's saying it's not just for Jew, Gentile. It's actually chosen and not chosen. And so he kind of leaves that tension there though, right? That there's not, there's not an understanding that we can have of who is to be a vessel of wrath and who is to be a vessel of mercy. Like we talked about right before this passage, we're all just clay in the hands of the potter. Right. And so, How do we trust that that there is that it's not about fairness, yeah. but that God is good in choosing that? Yep. And this verse in 22 and 23 is building on the same ideas that we just saw earlier in Romans 9, where Paul was talking about hardening, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And I think immediately when we often read that, we ask the why question. We ask, well, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Was that fair to Pharaoh for God to do that? And Paul earlier in Romans 9 in verse 21 talks about in reference to Pharaoh, the potter and the clay. And can the clay say to the the potter, why did you do this? Does not the potter have the right to do whatever he wants to do with that lump of clay? Um, and, it, and it isn't an easy thing to wrestle with, just to acknowledge that. It is not an easy thing to wrestle with. But I think this is some of the places where 
you really start to realize the vastness and the greatness of God's glory and his character, his nature, his ability. And it really kind of right sizes you in the right place of who is God in this story and who am I in this story? I think that's one thing that comes about from wrestling with the sovereignty of God and some of the fruit of it is you really start to recognize who am God, who am I, and can I even understand God uh, in his vastness? And you're kind of left with the fact that you can't. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I'm thinking of God forming this clay, but the clay like fighting back. You know, sometimes there's, we have this idea of like, well, God's in control, but I've got free will still. And so how does that, how Mm. does that tension work? And I always think of Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. The way that he says it in that book is that we just can't, we cannot communicate the infinite power, glory of God with words on a page. Yeah. Letter, these are just symbols. It's just ink. Yep. And we are fragile, limited beings, yeah. right? We've got these brains yep. that are tiny pea yep. brains yep. as humans. And God is just so infinitely, so much infinitely more than that. And yeah. so to think that we can say that this is fair or not fair, mm. as opposed to just saying that God is God and we know that God is good. And so leaning on those things that we know about God and the choices that he is making about vessels of wrath and mercy, we just have to surrender that and trust that. And I love your Tozer reference there because Tozer in that book, in Knowledge of the Holy, he's holding in tension this reality of the unknowable complete full nature of God in some sense. There's these things that we just can never fully grasp or these tensions that maybe never will fully be resolved. But then at the very beginning of knowledge of the Holy, he's saying what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Yeah. And it's, it's funny to think about someone writing a book about something that can't, a book can't be written about, (laughs) you know, there's like a, that, that's the tension, right. Of like, and you can go too far either direction. You can go as far as saying, well, I can't understand it. And so I'm just not even going to pursue knowledge of God. Or you can go the other way and say, I'm going to do my darndest with my little pea brain and try to understand God. But there's just the, the mystery of God. We will not know until we see him. in Yeah. Glory. And I think as we wrestle with Romans nine, as a community, as we do, uh, talk through it and preach through it on Sunday and uh, have conversations about it, Our hope and my hope is that you would really continue to see this beautiful middle path as we wrestle with this, with this text and with these, some of these tensions on one side of this path, there is division that has happened in the church over uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we're going to try and nuance down to every little piece, exactly where maybe somebody's position is on this. And then we're actually going to divide unity on it. And I think that's a big mistake. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 9. I don't think that's actually his intent is to say, well, let's create a bunch of denominations based off of whether you subscribe to each letter of a flower or not. <laughs> Tulip just for your Calvin reference there. Or I think it's also a mistake to say, well, we can't really understand divine sovereignty and human responsibility, so let's not think and wrestle with it. That is then actually not digging into what the text is presenting and not wrestling with it in a, in a deep way. And so there is this middle path as we wrestle with the sovereignty of God, as we wrestle with human responsibility, uh, to Im- follow one of VG's five core values of embracing inevitable tensions, not running from them, but actually holding them together. And that actually leads you into a place of worship. It leads you into a place of trust 
in God's sovereignty and surrender to him, which takes us right into Romans 9, 25 of Hosea and what pops up there. So Paul is talking about some vessels being created for wrath, some for mercy. And he's like, let me help explain this better to you. Let's talk about Hosea, which is this backdrop of Romans 9, where looking at the Hosea context, uh, Paul's talking about Hosea's personal experience of marrying an unfaithful wife, which becomes the symbol for Israel and their spiritual unfaithfulness to God. Yet God continues to pursue them, even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. Yeah. Not only was she unfaithful, she was a prostitute. Yeah. And so thinking about that tension, right, of free will sovereignty, look at what Hosea does in this context, right? God says, this is my will for you. And Hosea doesn't say, well, you know, I'm going to exercise my free will or, and he, but, and he also on the other side, it's like, God, why? I don't understand, Yeah. but he trusts, yeah. right? And he lets that go. And so when he makes this reference in Hosea, that analogy is so poignant for me because I am the harlot and God is the one that redeemed me and pulled me out of that. And so to not have a people and then to be called my people, even thinking back to the people of Israel in Egypt, that there were they were from all different places. It was not just a specific region. God actually said, you are my people from all different places. You are my beloved now. Um, and so that there's so many parallels there with Hosea and Gomer. Like <clears throat> there would, there was no way aside from God that Hosea was going to marry this prostitute. And so then he calls her his beloved because he's obedient to God. And so I love the parallels there of God saying, you are my people. And, and that's what Jesus does for us too, right? Jew, Gentile. He says, you were dead on the bottom of the ocean floor. You were not a part of my family. But because of the blood of Jesus, I'm going to adopt you into my family and you're going to be my beloved and sons and daughters of the living God. Which suddenly changes completely the context of how we understand God's sovereignty with the picture of Hosea and Gomer in view. And suddenly if God's sovereignty is actually about a faithful God continuing to pursue us in our unfaithfulness, that helps us start to understand God's sovereignty a little bit more. We often think about it of this, well, what about human responsibility? Do I want to eat in and out or do I want to eat Chick-fil-A? And that's not the picture here. It's not about which choice you're making or what you kind of want and whether you want the right to make that choice. This is about us continuing to walk away from God, us continuing to be stuck and fall deep into our sin and being stuck on the bottom of the ocean floor, yet God continuing to pursue us the way Hosea continues to pursue Gomer, even in her unfaithfulness. Zach, I think you nail it on the head of reading that Hosea story and recognizing, oh, that's about me and my unfaithfulness to God. I am Gomer. I am the harlot here. I continually reject God. I continually abandon and rebel against him. Yet in God's sovereignty, in his pursuit of us, he continues to pursue after us and restore us and adopt us as his children. That's the context for God's sovereignty. That's the point Paul's making here to actually be in awe of God's sovereignty and his relentless pursuit of people who are walking away from him, sinners who are not turning back to him. That's what Hosea is talking about. That's in Hosea 2.23 and Hosea 1.10. If you want to go look up some of those particular stories. And just for anyone who might be pregnant out there listening, I think Gomer should be added to the list of baby names <laughs> to consider just as a bonus, you know, kind of point there to I think make. 
Yeah, I think some extra that 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 uh, persistent obedience, mm. that persevering obedience, right? Because Hosea marries her, obeys. Yeah. Gomer goes off, yeah. and cheats yeah. on him, and yes. then God says, "You gotta forgive her." Right? And Hosea right. is like, "I that sucks." Yes, you know, like, yeah. and he, and it happens. I think two or three times mm. that that are recorded, mm-hmm. and so I think that that constant obedience, it's it's a it's a it has to be always. It can't yep. just be, okay, I'm trusting God in this time and his will is good in this thing that I don't really care about. Or maybe yes. something's going your way. Yep. And so, well, okay, this must be God's will. I'm going to trust him in that. Mm. Uh, it's when we feel like things are getting out of control, right? When yes. we're Hosea <laughs> yes. with yeah. unfaithful wife yeah. that we're like, God, please, I need you to mm-hmm. help me understand. And sometimes he doesn't help us understand. Yep. And we've just got to surrender yeah. to that and be obedient in it. Yep, yep. And the beauty of God's grace there for those who are not his people to be called my people yeah. for those who was not beloved. He will call beloved for those who are not his children. He will now call sons of the living God. That's what God's sovereignty is all about. And he goes then right into Isaiah to kind of make a similar point. And he talks about how, unless the Lord had pursued them, if the Lord had not left a remnant, which he, Paul had talked about a little bit earlier. If, if he had not left an offspring, offspring, then we would have been like Sodom and been like Gomorrah, which is a reference back to Genesis uh, 12, where God makes this covenant with Abraham. And basically out of all these people who are not following God chooses Abraham and says, I will make a covenant with you. I will do something here. I will pursue you. And others are left to destruction. And so they're saying, unless God had reached out and basically pulled us out, pulled us off the bottom of the ocean floor, we would have been left to our own destruction, like Sodom, like Gomorrah, which is again, just highlighting the relentless pursuit of God towards his people to save people who were walking away from him, who were rejecting and rebelling against him. It again, is just this beautiful picture of God's grace. Yeah. And you same kind of thing is in the story of Noah, right? And the Humanity was far from God, and God says, I'm going to help you. God's not under no obligation to help us, right? Like we, as humanity, made our bed of death and choosing sin and choosing to be apart from God. And so God is under no obligation to then say, okay, I'll take you, Noah. I'll take you, Moses. I'll take you, Abraham. There's no—he is perfectly just in leaving us— and doing to Sodom and Gomorrah what he doing to us what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And so that he pulls out that remnant, that he says, I am going to continue to run toward you, like the prodigal son, the father yeah. is running out to meet him. That I mean, that's an unbelievable if there's anything that we can't understand, <laughs> it's not sovereignty and free will. It's the grace of God. Yeah. And yeah. just how it's obscene to us, right? This idea that you would forgive the prostitute that spit in your face, that went out on you, that you would forgive the Israel that was making idols, even after you rescued them from slavery in Egypt, that's even more un- Mm -hmm ununderstandable in understand. You can't understand (laughs) that kind of grace. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a like beautiful implication and just personal takeaway from this text is that the, these texts, Romans and I, is ultimately about God's grace to us. It's ultimately about his story, God continuing to pursue his creation that has rebelled him. It is 
un- in understandable, ununderstandable, <laughs> because that doesn't make sense. We don't operate that way. We don't show that type of grace. We deserve that consequences. We deserve to sleep in the bed that we make. And I just know on a personal note, that's just an incredible invitation here is to receive that grace, that God's sovereignty is ultimately always about worship and recognizing how great he is. And then even just this invitation to be a part of his greater story. There's a bigger story that is at play here. And it's not about getting God into my life as much as it is my life becoming a part of God's life, my life becoming a part of his bigger story. Any other ways this just hits you on kind of a personal application level? Yeah, I think that it helps remind me to trust. And that is an act of worship, right? Surrendering your will for God's. I think going through the last couple of weeks, getting ready for our Placerville preview, yeah. I was relying on myself a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm going to dial all this in and it's going to be great. And I was leaving God out of the equation and, tr- and not trusting him in that. And so that's something that I had to repent of and something that I'm still thinking about. How can I do this differently next time? How can I let go of my plans and my will for this, whatever it is for your life, for your family, for your job, anything? How can I let go and allow God to work yeah. and trust him? Yeah. Which is where God's sovereignty ultimately takes us to a beautiful place of trust, getting off the throne of our hearts, living in that place of surrender to him. Well, hey, thanks for joining us on the Text Lab. Whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house, the one person that I hope is mowing the lawn when they listen to this, because we say that every week, <laughs> driving in the car, whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to dive deeper into the text this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and guide you in how He is working in your life and allow Him to trust, to help you trust Him more. Love you all, and we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.